Gotta chase each uh, shot of coffee with a sip of water. Actually, I'm gonna pee because we're gonna be here for a while, and I already have. Not a bad idea. What a brilliant person you are. Yeah, let's go urinate <laughs> everywhere. My bathroom is eerily close to where I'm sitting right now. Welcome to the Fargon Conclusion podcast, covering every episode of the FX TV show Fargo. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Cody, and this week we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 1, The Crocodile's Dilemma. Hey Tiff, since it's your first time watching, what'd you think of this episode? This episode was so good. It's one of the best pilots I think I've ever seen. It just kept on going, and it introduced so many like actors that I was just excited to see, and I'm so curious to keep watching after everything that went down. They, they really just, like, explosion after explosion in this episode. <laughs> when Vern saw the the dead body mm. in the basement, I was just like, how are they going to get out of this? This must be, like, a game over situation. Like, and then... In the pilot. Yeah, and then it's like, he, he gets killed, and you're like, oh, wow. This has gotten even messier. So many people died, and yeah, I'm just really excited to see see where this goes. Yeah, son of a gun. Yeah, I mean, and if we're talking about actors, I mean, we got and so we got Billy Bob, who was who was in Cat Dog: The Great Parent Mystery. Yeah, uh, when pulling his IMDb page because I recall <laughs> him from Bad Santa, but that's about mm-hmm. it. I feel like I always forget that he's in certain things or. Maybe I'm just not really attracted to a lot of the things where he's, like, the main character. So I even forgot that he was in Love Actually with Martin Freeman, which I've seen... Oh, yeah. ...dozens of times. Um, but, you know, the the fact that he plays uh, Cat Dog's stepfather, Hound Dog McDog, <laughs> just caught my eye. It's an interesting role he decided to take. I just think that Wait. Hound Dog McDog is a really good character name as well. Like, yeah, think... it sounds it sounds like an old blues guitarist. Mm, <laughs> I agree, but it definitely functions with Cat Dog as well. He's a musician in real life. He's a drummer. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, for a band. Oh gosh, what's it called? The Boxmasters, I think, is the name of his band. Yeah, and I mean, Bad Santa's. You know, it's a classic Sling Blade. He's done a million great things, and this this role is perfect for him as well. Lauren Malvo, Malvo, Malvo. Uh, and I mean, mostly like even before I had seen Bad Santa, way too many years passed when people were talking about Bad Santa. Um, he was just uh, Mr. Angelina Jolie to me. Mm. Yeah, I forgot about that. They had each other's blood and necklaces, right? <laughs> Uh, I guess so, if you, if you say so. <laughs> that was the thing, yeah, they, they like, they made little capsules of blood and had each other's blood hanging around their necks when they were together. Interesting. Cool, Interesting right? Interesting transition from him to Brad Pitt to now. She doesn't play by any rules, she doesn't yeah, have what's a Angelina jo- what's, what's Angelina Jolie up to? That's what we should really be podcasting about. We should start a podcast called, what did Angelina yeah. be up to? <laughs> what, what has she done since that... Really high slit in her dress at the Oscars. Ooh, ooh, Angelina, what are you up to with those <laughs> lips? Anyway, and then we have Martin Freeman uh, playing Lester Nygaard, who, in my notes, good old Lester Nygaard, <laughs> just became Arthur 
from his characters, Arthur Dent and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. One of my favorite <laughs> movies, and I really enjoy the book as well. But he's obviously been in other things. I've seen all of the UK office. He's a hobbit. The UK office so it wasn't, wasn't really my jam. So it was more just an acknowledgement that he was there. Uh, Sherlock, he's great in that. <laughs> I enjoyed most of what I saw of Sherlock. <laughs> Don't remember if I caught up to it. But he plays, a, I think, a very good uh, Watson, like, straight man. Which he sort of plays in most of his roles is... He does get typecast kind of, a little like, bit as, like, the, oh, God, what, what's going on here, guy? <laughs> oh, no, Hodges. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is this is overwhelming to me. I need help. Um, you guys are being crazy, and I'm just trying to hold down the fort, uh, which is also what he does in Black Panther. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you know, The Hobbit, in a way. You know, he's like, oh, God, I got this ring. What do I do? <laughs> But in love, actually, he gets to break out of that typecasting a little bit. He's just like pornographic scenes. I mean, because they're not, I don't think, they're not actually doing it. I don't even remember why, like specifically what what his function is, but he's like pretending to have sex with a girl (laughs) on camera and that's supposed to be helpful in some way. Um, But he is still very like... Kind of square individual that's not well good on you martin freeman but yeah he gets to do something it's a little different for him <laughs> and then we have allison tolman as molly salverson who i i saw her most recently as mary pat and good girls where she's just like this really obnoxious mom that is trying to get these other criminal moms in trouble and uh she's very much the antagonist but she plays a really sympathetic character in that even though she's really annoying i think she just does a good job with with that type of character in general yeah a and lot of her comedic roles her character is very comparable in this uh in this season i would say to francis mcdormand in the movie oh okay yeah you know just this badass badass police officer who un- unknowingly is tracking down these vicious people you know see, i see her as as the leslie nope that is just <laughs> against all odds you know going above and beyond in her work and people are um actively trying to like cut her down she gets she gets a lot of compliments from Vern, but it's almost in this way of like he's just so casual about being good at things where she seems like she's trying so hard and putting in so much effort huh i like that i like that and i have some thoughts since we're recording this having seen both episode one and two what are you talking about we didn't see episode two yet (laughs) i have some additional thoughts on how her character (laughs) handles the the men in this show in episode two but but we'll get there (laughs) get there anyway let's let's Uh, run through this cast list and we'll get to the episode speaking of those other men on the police force we have bob odenkirk who worst police officer ever (laughs) is terrible um i started better call Saul like not too long ago but great show we've gotten back on it and so i think i'm 
almost through season one. We finished um, the arc with uh, Julianne Emery, who it plays Ida in this oh, season. Right. Yeah. So seeing like the conclusion of her arc, kind of my brain was getting a little confused <laughs> having both characters. Which show am I watching? <laughs> but I'm definitely falling more and more in love with Bob Odenkirk as, as time goes on. And then we got Colin Hanks, who plays Gus Grimley. I don't know much about Colin Hanks besides his parentage. Do you, you have see... any reference points for him? Oh, yeah. Did you see Orange County with Jack Black? Yeah, like 20 I years ago. I love that movie. I, I love that movie. And he's also in Mad Men. He's, been, he's, he's done mm. some cool stuff. He's done a lot of I cool do stuff. Po- I just, I can't believe that, like... Rita Wilson, who is <laughs> incredible woman, and Tom Hanks get together, and they create Chet. Good old Chet. He's, you know, just out there um, having a white boy summer. I don't want to go I crazy guess... on the Hanks talk, but apparently, uh, I heard something about, like, his parents had to cut him off or something now. Chet oh. Hanks, not Colin. <laughs> so. yeah. I don't... Colin wouldn't need to be cut off. Colin would be, like, he would be paying, like, paying his parents back for, like, everything. And, like, covering, <laughs> you know. He pays he's with probably, the to go out to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, I don't see that for happening good, with Chet. Good old Chet. And we got Keith Carradine. I love Keith Carradine. Um, sorry, I was on going too far down the Chet Hanks rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, no. No worries. Listen, we'll, we'll start the Angelina Jolie podcast, and then we'll also have the Chet Hanks podcast. <laughs> what What are Tom Hanks' kids up to podcast? <laughs> the Hanks kids. Uh, Keith Carradine, though, I, <laughs> I've loved him since uh, I've loved Tom Waits. Uh, I've been obsessed with Tom Waits my whole life, and he did this crazy movie in the 80s called, maybe 90s, called Cold Feet where Keith Carradine is the lead and Tom Hanks is the bad guy. And I loved him in Dexter, and I mean, you know, he's he's such a great character actor. How many movies has Tom Waits played the bad guy? Um, at least two. Probably several. <laughs> I feel like he he gets typecast. <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah, he's a good guy sometimes. <laughs> I can't think of any, but... But with that voice and his crazy weird long face what are you gonna do and then my the one of the loves of my life kate walsh playing gina hess um she's one of my favorite characters in gray's anatomy she was so good in gray's anatomy that they did a spin-off show for like six seven seasons called private practice where she was the main character and she's kind of come back into the zeitgeist with 13 reasons why and then she was she has a decent role on Umbrella Academy, and that character is just really cool. So <laughs> I am very excited to see where her character goes, though I'm not sure I'm going to love this character as much as some of her other... The <laughs> good roles. old Widow Hess. <laughs> nah, she kills it in this season. She's awesome. And then we already mentioned Julianne, Emery, Ida, being also in Better Call Saul. Yeah, so hey, let's dive into this episode. You ready? I am. 
This episode aired April 15th, 2014. And this was written by the showrunner Noah Hawley. So far, it seems like he's does the writing for most episodes, but I'm guessing he's gonna let some other people take the reins. This episode was directed by Adam Berenstein. He only directs this episode and episode two, but he might have just been busy with Better Call Saul, Californication, Breaking Bad, all these other things. But it's a big deal, I think, as a director to kind of set the the visual tone for for a brand new show. And I'm yeah. curious to see if they will settle into another director or two that end up sticking around for for more than just a couple episodes. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked into it, but we'll definitely see as we keep going through this. So, um, here we go. So, the Crocodile Dilemma. You know, classic Fargo, long snowy road. We get some melancholy music. This is a true story. Minnesota 2006. And we have just a... Just before iPhones. Yeah, just before Although the iPhones. technology in this show so far is looking a lot more like the 90s. A lot of monitors that are big giant squares. Yeah, I think that might just kind of be a Midwestern thing, right? Don't you think they just kind of stick to what they know? I mean, in any type of show or movie, you're like, okay, well, it is set in like a flyover state. Are they just really (laughs) behind on technology or is this supposed to be in the past? (laughs) But 2006 is a weird time period where that feels so recent, but is actually quite quite a while ago in terms of technology so yeah god i didn't even think about that yeah that's 15 years ago good lord half my life i know (laughs) i wonder if like every everybody feels weird about the passage of time around you know or if being born like 10 years before the millennium like if that you know what makes it me? harder for us to track what bo- time. <laughs> what bothered me recently uh, to find out is that th- there's there's full grown adults who weren't alive when nine eleven happened, and it's just like what? <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's so creepy. So, if you're if you're counting full grown adults as eighteen to nineteen, yeah. I don't like it. Anyway. <laughs> well, um, and I have a note on um, Joey. Joey Young, is that her name? In the next episode, Gus's daughter. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, she's born in 1999. Really? Which is like, I don't know, that feels like (laughs) five years ago to me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So odd. She's great, also. But we'll talk about her when we get there. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a driver listening to a novella on the radio. It cuts out. The trunk starts banging, and um, he ignores it until a deer jumps in front of the car and crashes into a snowbank. The trunk shoots open <laughs> to reveal a super cool guy in only his underwear. He jumps out, breathing heavy, and uh, the driver's dazed. Opens the door to see the underwear man running off, and a wounded deer he approaches as it, you know, breathes its last breaths. I was just thinking about how. You know, he's frantically running off trying to 
to get away from this man who's clearly kidnapped him and mm-hmm. maybe maybe trying to kill him. I don't know. Um, but Billy Bob Thornton's character, Lorne Malvo, is just so calm all the time that I'm wondering if there will be any <laughs> any point during this season where we'll see him a little frazzled. Mm. Oh, like, like he's not going to run after that dude. He would mess up his coat. <laughs> yeah, and he's got to deal with his deer. He's got to put him in but a trunk. He, <laughs> so I've, I'm just, you know, I'm curious if we'll get a break in that at any point or if he's going to continue to be just I don't run for shit kind of character. Like a, like a Michael Myers type. He's always walking yeah. while you're running. <laughs> we'll have to see. And then we uh, cut to um, our other favorite person. <laughs> Whose washing machine is making a very loud noise. And uh, we're in the morning conversation. They're having breakfast. Lester Nygaard, you know, and his lovely wife. Pearl being the worst. <laughs> and Pearl's uh, debating whether to bring jello salad or meatloaf. Kitty always says, or I guess Kitty says, you know, meatloaf for Gordo's birthday. So it's meatloaf. Because, you know, Pearl and Kitty, they, you know, they're always jabbering. Uh, Gordo is the nephew. Yeah. Right? The super interesting uh, nephew. To Lester. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. That's going to be so much fun to go through. And, you know, the wife is super cool. Um, Lester notices the washing machine sounds different today. She writes it off as the towels making, you know, washing towels makes it make a different sound. Just jabbering about Lester's brother, Chaz, and wife, Kitty just got an all-in-one washing machine well i guess i married the wrong nygaard and i just want to point out that the combo washer dryer is far less effective (laughs) and not actually better which might be a good metaphor for what pearl is doing where she's just like oh i wish i had this life and Mm -hmm. really she's just gonna get a crappier life than the one that she has (laughs) Yeah. If she were to try to upgrade. Which, you know, I mean, good old Lester, he has his shortcomings. She de- I would say I would say in this arrangement, both of them kind of settled, don't you think? <laughs> they were like, yeah. all right, I'll just, this is fine. And then, the, and then obviously she's not happy with her settling. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that often the... The husband seems a little bit more, like, ready to settle and to just, like, all right, whatever's going to be, like, happy and easy, and we're just going to go go from there. And oftentimes it's the, the wife that wants to, is looking for gets antsy. upgrades. Yeah. Oh, man. And, uh, and so, and then we, uh. I, I love this exchange because it's it's so it's it's just such a great writing point. Like you make your own wins, salesmen make their own wins. You got to try harder for Pete's sake. Maybe wear a nicer tie, and then Lester responds, "You gave me this tie." <laughs> and well, if you're a better salesman, maybe I would have bought you a nicer tie. That's just oh, that's just nailed it. <laughs> she really does make it kind of impossible. This mm-hmm. is where like you know I. I have sympathy for 
people in like long-term relationships that have issues that they need to work out and it's hard to make those changes when you're kind of set in your ways as a as a couple but it really just feels like she isn't going to set him up for any any of that growth she just wants to blame him it's always his fault it's not like (laughs) it's not actually about the solutions it's about like distancing herself almost from the failure that is their life and just putting it on on lester yeah she she bought this tie she's telling him maybe wear a nicer tie she's blaming him for not having a nicer tie but then it's so you know there there is no there is no win for lester which makes his building frustration throughout the episode very very relatable mm-hmm. yeah it's just just sad sack all the way and just <laughs> you just gotta love him in a you know horrible sort of way so <laughs> he goes down to inspect the washer before um going into work and we get a lovely little scene of him with a young couple and they just want health care as Lester awkwardly worries them about the new father's potential death <laughs> they're visibly bothered and they leave without you know he, he doesn't get the sale basically so we have an idea of uh, maybe why maybe it's not the tie maybe it's it's a bit of Lester <laughs> <laughs> I think on his lunch break he goes and um, looks at new washers Great decision, because this uh, leads him into running into good old Sam Hess and his two sons. I just love the visual of this this person who's just having a hard time in life, kind of low, <laughs> nothing nothing really happy or exciting going on for him. And then he spends his lunch break window shopping for appliances, and yeah. like that's the daydreaming you about know, a better washer. Yeah, that's that's the daydream and not like, oh, let's go on vacation or take up a hobby or something. It's if only, if only. And, uh, yeah, poor, <laughs> poor son of a bitch. Anyway, <laughs> the sons are both goofs and Sam's trucking company is doing great, obviously. And, you know, they run into him. Oh, well, would you look at that? That there, boys, is a black man, is what he says. Because... <laughs> And, you know, does a really cool play on his last name, Nygaard. Yeah, really clever, like, (laughs) top-notch, insulting. Great job. Coming from Sam, (laughs) who is essentially Biff from Back to the Future. Yep, you nailed it. (laughs) I wonder if he, like, if the actor, like, watched some Biff performances and was like, that, that's the vibe, that's the energy I'm bringing my inspiration you know just just classic in classic bully behavior you know you remember that story i told you of the boy i put in an oil drum and rolled him onto the highway and uh (laughs) sam which you know unparalleled parenting move tells his son about how uh, lester's wife pearl's fat hands gave him a tug once because you know you know every every boy wants to know about his father's past hand jobs (laughs) yes yes every son (laughs) and uh you know mockingly faints a punch at lester causing lester to run into a window and we get our first christmas bells 
it's an interesting little uh, punctuation on scenes that they do where a lot of stuff de dealing with Lorne Malvo and just kind of ne'er-do-well in general they they punctuate with Christmas bells I like it you told me this previously so I was listening for it mm -hmm. in episode two but I wasn't noticing it in episode two but I was noticing a sound effect for Lester what's that and so now I'm curious if there's um there's probably a technical term for it but like the I think it's like the scratching type sound on a drum oh really with the big like fan looking thing what's hmm. that called <laughs> do you know you know oh. what i'm talking about right what are those called yeah no i i've had them before i can't think of what they're called though, but i know what you're talking about okay <laughs> i expected you as a musician to know exactly brushes. what i was talking they're about called, they're, they're called drum brushes that's the word okay yeah it seemed kind of like that type of sound maybe hmm. i'll have to listen for that but I was also looking through the original soundtrack, which is done by Jeff Russo. Hmm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And there's, like, Lauren's theme and Lester's theme. And so I'm curious if there are, you know, music, if there's music used for more than just those two characters. Yeah. I got to do more listening. Because <laughs> yeah, the, the the sound the sound design or this like the soundscape of this whole show is amazing as well. Jeff Russo is a is a maniac. So we end up in the hospital. <clears throat> we get our two favorite people together for the first time. Lester's trying to drink a Fago, but can't. Lauren asks for a sip, and you know, is it? Hmm? Is he? I don't know. Does he have some type of issue where he can't drink, or is it because of the nose? It's because of the nose. Okay. <laughs> he can't angle the can to where the. the Which I guess that would make sense if, if like, a can yeah. would hit your nose, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's having a rough go of it. And, uh, Lauren, it, uh, I like the choice. It's just such a subtle thing. Yeah. But <laughs> like... he doesn't explain it, but. Yeah. And Lauren asks for a sip. And I like the cho his choice of, um, you know, oh, can I have a sip? And then he drinks the, just chugs the whole can. It's interesting. And then sets the can down, like, on the opposite side of just, like, very casual, like, I'm not even giving this back to you in yeah. any way. <laughs> he asks what happens, he asks what happened to his nose, and Lester just has a misunderstanding. Lester plays up a story of a... A three on or three to one, he says. I think, and Lauren picks it apart, learning who Sam Hess is in the process, as he seats himself a little bit closer. <laughs> and I just find this even more sad that he is trying to. He does lie in some regard to make this seem less yeah. pathetic than it is, but even the lies that he tells aren't that much better, and are you know, still really easy to pick apart. And so it's just, it's sad that even when he's lying to look better, he still looks bad because it's just so low. Yeah. The it's, truth is so low. Such, again, such a sad sack. I mean, it's just really the definition. <laughs> and, um, yeah, God. And I love the line uh, Billy Bob gets to say where he says, you let a man beat you in front of his children to send him a message? And just, you know, Martin Freeman just cowering, kind of. Yeah, this this is a person who really needs some therapy, and instead he is getting this 
murderer being like, mm-hmm. let me tell you how to deal with your problems. <laughs> and he really does, like, he seems to escalate the the need for violence that Sam Hess, he broke his nose now, but next it'll be his spine or something. And, like, just really upping the ante on, like, the need and the need for violence and how how likely it is that Sam Hess is also going to kind of keep upping the ante. I don't yeah. know. It seems like this it is, doesn't... It, there's a million great quotes in this scene. I mean, it's just... It, this is so well written for Billy Bob and Martin Freeman. Just... Yeah, and his line delivery... Ugh is is just great but it it is like um is kind of an agenda on billy bob's side to just it just really intense eye contact and just yeah just and just yeah make him believe in this mission of of taking uh action by mm-hmm. by murder yeah or he other says, he says Miss, other violence mr we're not friends i mean maybe we will be someday i gotta say if that were me in your position, I would have killed that man. And he's just holding eye contact with a with like a you know, shifting shivering Martin Freeman the whole time. Yeah, the scenes, the way they're set up with them like kind of further away but centered on their two different chairs and like one is just so confident and the other is squirming <laughs> and uncomfortable and very much reacting to all of these things that Billy Bob's character is saying in a very calm, confident manner. And yeah, so we end up with um, (laughs) Lester basically panic asks Lorne Malvo to kill Hess. We have some more intense eye contact. I think he like jokingly is like, well, maybe you should just kill him for me, right? Isn't that something like that? And, you know, Lauren takes I it noticed. seriously. I felt like there was just like a like a like an air of delight in Billy Bob's eyes at like, mm-hmm. oh, I will absolutely do this for you. Just give me the word. Like, um, did not need to be like persuaded any further. Yeah, and, and as as a nurse is beckoning him away, Lester says he's he was joking. We're just two fellows talking, but he never says when when Billy Bob says to say you know say the word he never says no and so that obviously lauren takes as takes on a new mission at that point (laughs) yeah and i think that you could argue too that you know he he felt like he knew what was best for lester and so he's going to like even though lester didn't confirm that he wanted this necessarily and seemed reluctant Billy Bob's character is like, I know this is what is what's best for this person. So I'm yeah. going to I'm going to take it take it upon myself to make this happen for him. And he, I, it, he it, yeah, he's he's it's like a baited excitement. He's like, ooh, I get to do this new thing. <laughs> yeah. So and then we smash cut to it, you know, the long icy road where police chief arrives to find uh, Deputy Solverson. To show him uh, Malvo's car that was run off the road, you know they discuss what could have happened. You know, 
driver confused, possibly wandered into the woods. The police chief digs up some bloody footprints out of the snow. There's blood on the steering wheel. I think this is this is where I saw a lot of um, Molly being very proactive and trying to like find all these clues, and she's relaying them, and she's putting a lot of like intense energy into it. And then Vern just comes up and is like, "Oh, yeah, I found it. Yeah. Oh, right there." And <laughs> you know whether that's experience or like intuition. Um, but he just has this easy, like, confidence and competency compared to, you know, other, yeah, other police officers. Yeah, where she's, like, he's not wide-eyed. Less and... competent. Yeah, he's not less competent for being casual, um, which I just think is kind of interesting as a sometimes intense individual. I'm, like, jealous of people that can be just as competent. Yeah. And, uh, obviously, they... You know, there's a dead deer in the trunk, which I think was an interesting choice by Billy Bob. Maybe it was to cover up the fact that there was blood in his trunk from the the guy he had beaten. Ah, Maybe that's that makes what it was. sense. I I was curious why. It is yeah, it's, it's an odd choice. Also, how the hell do you lift a whole deer by yourself? <laughs> I don't know how heavy are deer. Pretty fucking heavy, the, I think. <laughs> I I think so, but I don't really know, but. I guess he. I mean, you could probably drag. Drag, but you got to get it into the trunk somehow. I guess you could slump it up. I don't know. Anyway. Well, okay. So, like, Olive, my golden retriever, is <laughs> really bad at getting into cars, mm-hmm. and so I often have to like get her the like scooper. front half into the car, and then I have to like help her with the back half. You know, so <laughs> I could see some form of like just heaving the the deer like behind into the trunk and then like i was talking about not really seeing lorne struggle or like sweat it out for anything i would love that deleted scene (laughs) yeah Um, just this dude like there's no way he's doing that in a cool like calm manner (laughs) just saying yeah also he's just been in a car accident but anyway (laughs) So they follow the bloody footprints, you know, find, uh, do they find the guy in this scene? Or is yeah. cut away? He's in the forest okay. in his boxers, yeah. frozen to death. Oh, that, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And uh, it's revealed in this scene that the wife, Ida, is pregnant. And yeah, they, they find him just frozen next to a tree. And then we- I wonder if there's any, like, survival tactics for being if completely you're, like, naked stuck in the snow. out in the cold. <laughs> Like, would, would like, I don't know, burying himself be better? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, fire. I don't expect him to know the answer, yeah. but I'm just curious <laughs> if there, if there are some options there other than sitting against the tree until you die. That'll be our fourth podcast is the survival podcast we're going to be doing after the Angelina Jolie and <laughs> Hank's Boys podcast. Anyway, <laughs> and we, uh, we get probably this, the sweetest scene, I think of the episode where the chief comes home to his wife she's cooking hamburgers the chief looks at the newborn's room comments on molly doing well his wife jokes and debates the color of the newborn's room and says you're a good man Vern." and it's just like oh shit (laughs) god probably should have guaranteed that he was gonna die by the end of the episode just from that line it's so rude it's so rude to set this guy up this poor son of a bitch And um, we cut to uh, the Hess uh, Trucking Company, 
Hessen Sons, I think is what it's called. Oh, I wanted to point out the suggestion that Ida makes of when talking about this guy who froze to death. She suggests that maybe he ate his clothes, which <laughs> I... Yeah, that's a good uh, one. You're right. <laughs> that's a good Uncertain. One. <laughs> what? <laughs> Does she always help with his cases? Like, is she is she the reason that he's always, you know... She's the true detective. Things? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also noted some things from episode two that I'm like, hmm. Uh-oh. Does she have some some type of like a police skills from being the the backseat police officer in the relationship hmm. i don't know i mean maybe she's just like has talked to her husband about all of these things to where she just knows more than bob odenkirk's character but God, anyway free, yeah freaking bill bill oswald jesus so we yeah we're so now we're at the uh, <laughs> trucking company the two sons are expand have expanded blow up dolls and are, you know, being super cool as Lauren enters the premises. I would like to predict that these blow up sex dolls are going to make a comeback. And I also was um, listening to an audiobook from Chuck Palahniuk about writing, and he he has a lot of weird sex things in his book. <laughs> you don't say. I think <laughs> choke. Choke is a book that is about, like, sex addicts, and yeah. they have a lot of weird stories about <laughs> sexual things that have happened to them that, like, sent them to the hospital or whatever, and I think he's talked a few times about people doing weird stuff with their, their blow-up sex dolls. So, anyway, with a show like this, I fully expect that to come back around. Hmm. And we, <laughs> speaking of choking... <laughs> we get yeah. So Lauren offers uh, offers the kids some choking tips and asks the older asks for the older son, and it aggravates the kids. Sam walks in with his entourage, entourage, entourage. That's how you say that word. Entourage. And you said it right all four times. Enter. <laughs> I said entourage. But um, <laughs> and Sam comes in and uh, <laughs> questions Lauren. Lauren insults his son, which is hilarious. And uh, Sam approaches Lorne, but restrains himself, and uh, we get Lorne saying, I just wanted to have a look at you, Christmas bells. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious with this this particular scene where he's clearly involved in some not-above-board things, but to what extent is Sam like a mastermind in this or if he is just the like a front facing you know bully is he he obviously has his um his stories from high school about yeah and i mean you know I, you know I think physically hurting people but i wonder if it is a lot more talk than it is anything else well, but because there's crime involved i assume he's a at least been involved in some pretty awful things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he's connected to the Fargo mob, so there's definitely some shady shit going on. But I'm just curious if we'll find out a little bit more where, it's like, he was maybe just this, like, dumb guy that we'll find out everyone was like, oh, thank God he died. Like, I <laughs> was so annoyed with him. Like, 
or oh, you, if you're he gonna, was actually like you're gonna, a competent, valuable part of the team. You're going to love is, your girl what I'm as at. the season goes on then. Okay. Miss, Mrs. Cool. Hess. <laughs> hey, hey, so what do you know about working hands? Um, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I've never had to massage uh, the meat that I cook. We're going to get a quick lesson from Chaz, Lester's brother, when Lester, with bandages and, and Pearl, arrive at Chaz's. The son, Gordo, opens the door and closes it on him. And we get a quick cut to the lesson about working a ham. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a clear separation, I would say, between the two brothers, obviously. Yeah, I think it's interesting. There's a lot of small things that show that this family really cares about, like, appearances and is kind of always pushing for, like, the best things. It's almost like a, a Pinterest level of, like, home decor. And, like, oh, you gotta... He talks about, you know getting this hand massage thing from Rachel Ray. It's like, is that even necessary? <laughs> but he's going to go that extra step just because it it will, you know, go above and beyond. But then they also have this kid that is just not going to fit into that picture-perfect yeah. family idea that they seem to be trying to create. Mm-hmm. Whether he's autistic or not, he still has interests that are, like, not going to be what either of his parents want him to be into. Yeah, and so, and then we get a cut to the garage. He tells Lester about how Gordo is autistic and <laughs> pees in jars in his closet. And uh, Chaz... Does he say he has the autism Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so clearly not well-versed in what that means or how to even talk about the it. The doctor says he's artistic. Uh, <laughs> and Chaz shows Lester his secret gun cabinet and uh, Lester fucks up his, I think it's called, it's uh, M249 saw light machine gun. This crazy fucking gun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Lester immediately drops it on the ground and fucks it up. I was surprised that that gun didn't go off when he dropped it. That's what but... you were thinking was happening? <laughs> gonna kill his brother <laughs> well not that it would result in any actual injury more just property damage yeah well i mean it's a very expensive gun that he just fucking dropped on the ground so i think he, he yeah. did <laughs> and illegal and yeah you know the brother goes why are you such a gd screw up you know pearl told kitty blah 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 and um <laughs> lester and uh, pearl pearl end up leaving uh, you know, after Lester actually decks his brother for uh, in, the insult of telling him, <laughs> he says, you know, he he tells people that his brother is dead instead of talking about him. Mm. Super I'm cool. Read this whole thing out because it's just so terrible. Okay, yeah. Um, and now Kitty, she said she talked to Pearl last week and she's had it. Your wife said you've been acting plain weird just moping around said she caught you standing in the bathroom with your toothbrush in your hand just looking in the mirror said foam was coming out of your mouth like a rabid dog uh which sounds like depression yes certainly i've been there right yeah <laughs> i don't know if I've, I've done that like while brushing my teeth but like definitely like taking the dog out and i'm like you know what i'm gonna like sit down on the floor and then, and then we get to the, oh, you know, 
guys at work, they talk about how they look up to their brothers, their oh, older brothers, yeah. which no one, no one I know does that. Um, I My can't imagine <laughs> someone being that like disappointed in their brother, their older brother, not being someone that they can brag about at work. I <laughs> wild. It's so weird. Every um, time I talk to your younger brother, Michael, all he, all he talks about is, Oh boy, my older sister, Tiffany, let me tell you what she's been up to. <laughs> Cause that's how people talk anyway. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think that there's some possibility in maybe like upper class circles where like the, the family is well off and well connected yeah. and the older brothers may be like running for senator or something but this guy is not none of these people are in that world so it's just extra rude that he he needs to do this and uh sometimes i tell people you're dead i mean heck lester you're 40 years old when are you gonna get your act together boom which again i Punch mean in the eye. he he has a job and a house like what? I don't know. It's what all about washing machines, yo. It's all about washing machines. I'm curious machines. if they ever wanted to have kids. Yeah, 40. If that was... Um, I could see Pearl being someone who would have wanted to have kids. And maybe maybe like part of her frustration with Lester is... They're not having kids. Their inability to have kids yeah. or, or something. Might be. Um, Which we might not... Probably won't figure out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> since she's since she, she's dead. We're away but that does cut to um, realty. Your own brother. You didn't have to hit him. Yeah, fuck it. Which I just find. <laughs> hey, come on, kind of come on. He's, he's being a dick. And then we cut to Rundle Realty. Uh, Lauren says he's been delayed. He's he's expected in Duluth, but he says he he's taken a detour. It's personal. And we get to uh, let's go. You know, let's go kill Sam Hess real quick. Lauren, Lauren finds Sam has at a strip club. Sam goes back to, you know, have relations with a stripper. Lauren sneaks in and just does the cool... Just, oh man, I... Great little stabbing move. Right, just a little... Just does a little he poke. throw the knife? No, I think he just pokes him in the back of the head and walks away. Oh, okay. And she's going, oh yeah, oh yeah, the stripper. And uh, suddenly there's blood on her <laughs> and a body. <laughs> A lot of good Midwest. Uh, oh yeah, real good. Dirty talk. <laughs> and uh, good old Vern is woken up out of the in the night to inspect the murder scene. Molly picks him up with a cup of coffee. And uh, Saul Goodman, <laughs> or the spaghetti vomiter, is there already, having done nothing yep. to help. Just throwing up his spaghetti. That's that's what he's good for. What? What do you want me to write for cause of death? Put self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and, uh, is it Bill Oswalt who brings up asking asking if he's tied to the gun runners out of Fargo? I think it is. Someone does mention that, but yeah. I don't. It doesn't sound like uh, here. Bill Oswalt to bring up a valid. No, it's probably Vern. It's probably point. Vern. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he's too busy like passing out in the back and. Yeah. Not throwing up his spaghetti. And then we cut to uh, the uh, cool little motel where uh, the woman in charge is insulting her employee, which I think might be her son or something. We get the whole fish conversation. She tells him that the 
taking the sheets off of one bed and putting them on another is unsanitary. I also don't know why you would take them off one bed and put them on another, unless it's like... I think it's just a shitty motel, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I would just leave the sheets on, though. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't see the benefit in doing know. that. Like, oh, you just get to air them out, I guess. Um, Lor- but I believe that this dude would do that <laughs> because he doesn't seem to be a very good employee. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and as Lauren is walking to his room after the super cool pet conversation, controlled chaos... You know, he convinces the kid to pee, you know, pee in the uh, manager's gas tank. But as the kid is doing it, Lauren immediately calls the front desk and reports him for it. We get a cool little scene of older lady whipping on the kid for peeing in her gas tank. Christmas bell. And it, it is possible that he gets something out of this oh, by yeah. by just having like a dis- some type of distraction or... Um, I don't know. Maybe it does help him in some way, or he just wants to cause chaos. Yeah, I don't know. He just wants. He he's around to fuck shit up. He's an agent of chaos. He's just here to wreck people's days. Guess where we're going next? Uh, to see Lou's Coffee Shop. Lou's Coffee Shop. Pew, 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 pew. I would love to eat breakfast there or get a milkshake. Those milkshakes. Oh wait, no, we haven't seen milkshakes yet. Keith Carradine is introduced as Lou Salverson as he pours his daughter Molly a fresh cup of coffee. Oh, and Vern arrives to discuss the Hess murder. And Molly tries to connect the scene of the freezing man to it. And he says that she should be promoted to chief above. Mm -hmm. She's next in line, he says, I think, right? Which I agree wholeheartedly, and it's very sad what happens when Vern is no longer around <laughs> to I don't want to talk about it <laughs> oh man and uh, yeah then we get the, the widow Hess speaking with the Fargo mob front man saying or, I don't know if he I don't know what his connection is exactly um, I know I just know he's involved I think he's like he was Hess's connect to Fargo this guy yeah it seems entirely possible that Hess runs this like trucking company, right? Yeah. Like a proper trucking company. But then a good portion of that business is funneled like yeah, to well, or from the Apparently they're gun runners, so you know, if they're moving weapons they need transportation. Hess probably, you know Oh speaking the... of guns uh, I gotta mention just for, you know, record keeping sake that mm-hmm. um I put Chekhov's gun cabinet in my notes for Chaz's gun cabinet in the <laughs> in the garage. So we will see, you know, if any of those guns make oh, an no. appearance that, 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 later. That's just a red herring. Nothing ever comes up with those guns ever again. Anyway. It's a lot of guns. I mean, <laughs> I'd be a little disappointed if just one gun got used. I think that, like... The gun cabinet really, has nothing to do with the rest of the season. Nothing. I really hope to see <laughs> those guns make a comeback. Oh God! And so, um, the, so the Fargo Connect says uh, Sam's death will be dealt with. And as they're talking, again, Agent of Chaos, uh, Lauren calls the 
<laughs> he calls the older son, deceiving him as a lawyer. He tells Mickey that uh, his father will leave everything to his younger brother. And as Vern and Molly arrive to visit the uh, widow, Mickey attempts to murder his younger brother in the background, which is amazing. Very funny. Um, <laughs> With a hockey stick, I think, right? <laughs> I'm also curious if if this is another instance where there's a possibility that Billy Bob's character is going to get something out of this, or if he just is seeding chaos mm-hmm. again. Uh, and I mean, I think there, in a lot of stories, you see that seeding chaos is just, like, <laughs> it, it might help. Like, oh, I'm going to be doing some shady stuff later, and maybe that will that will benefit me, maybe not. But also, this family is very well off. Like, when Sam Hess was mm-hmm. picking on Lester, I was just like, oh, come on, bro. You probably, like, you're not, like, any better than Lester. I doubt that you have much nicer of, like, a house or... Uh, you know, a wife, and I mean, I would take Addison Montgomery over Pearl <laughs> any day. Um, but there's like huge picture window. The house looks really nice. They have a maid. They do. I, oh yeah, I think you're. Yeah. No, yeah. Really. The the maid walks over with the the phone, and she's like, Mister Mickey, which is wild. Mickey? <laughs> that he gets to be called Mr. Mickey by the maid. Um, so they really are well off. And, you know, I guess it's better to be rich in the Midwest than try to take that money somewhere else. <laughs> Bio, yeah, they could probably get like a studio apartment in Los Angeles or something. Well, and, you know, there's obviously wealth differences between a lot of characters. Kitty and Chaz mm-hmm. are, you know, clearly better off than than Pearl, but they're not that much. Like you can see the visible differences in yeah, like the Lester's ha- modernness of their houses, but it's not like filthy wit- nice. rich. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a decent house. It's just it isn't it isn't super fancy. And per- God, Kit and Pearl just ugh, her taste. It's so it's so dated. Gaudy. Um, there's a lot of like. Is that the right use of the word gaudy? Pink and brown colors. Yeah. Um, um. Hey, Jinx. So anyway. Yeah. Just so. <laughs> pointing out that you know this this is actually a level of wealth that uh, I could see as as making you feel like you're better than other people. Doesn't doesn't excuse Sam being a. A braggart. <laughs> and then we get we get uh, Lester driving to work. He spots Lorne going into a diner on his way. And pulls in to work. And immediately finds out uh, from his boss that he's... You know, he, the boss asked him to pull Sam Hess's file as he was murdered last night. And Lester immediately goes to the diner where Lorne is. And uh, finds him mid-meal. We get the again some some more great stuff for Billy Bob, you know. These two interacting is is it's fun. It's just fun, you know. Him going, oh my God, Sam's dead. How do you feel about that? And you know the I never said yes, but you didn't say no. Uh, I also he is such a bad liar when <laughs> his 
boss tells him that Sam has died, oh, yeah. and like <laughs> just immediate panic. <laughs> yeah, like he connects, he connects himself to to Sam. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, like if the if the police if if Molly had talked to the uh, yeah his manager, I mean that would just be she'd just be like, all right, for real. <laughs> I mean, she already is convinced Lester's connected to this. But uh, yeah, we get a couple more good quotes from Billy Bob. You know, you spent your whole life thinking there are rules, there aren't, and it's a red tide, Lester. I mean, just there's so many good things here that in this little conversation, the, the yeah, the right Noah Hawley's amazing. He's such a great writer, especially for these two to interact. I love it. Vern's wife calls. They're deci- she decided on white for the baby's room. They then dis- discuss the different shades of white. And uh, Molly follows head injury leads based on hospital records. She discovers uh, what would be, or I guess, Lauren's, I don't know, I don't remember what she called Lauren's uh, alias, but she finds that him and Lester were uh, overheard talking about Sam Hess at the hospital. She says, real peculiar fella, real intense, which is accurate. Yeah, (laughs) very true. And he was just the, the fellow with the head injury. And oh boy, then we get uh, we get inside the Nygaard house again. Pearl's shouting. And uh, <laughs> she finds Lester in the basement fixing the washer. Which I think is very much inspired by his talk with, with Lorne, where Lorne is just sort of encouraging him to take action in his life and stop following the rules. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of trying to take life by the balls here by fixing this washing machine. <laughs> That's how I like to take life by the balls. I like to fix my yeah. washing machine. Um, yeah, and you know, of course, immediately, she's, you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> Just shut, shut up, Pearl, for like five seconds. Maybe it won't. Maybe if you shut up for five seconds, you won't die. Anyway, <laughs> the washer runs uh, as it is supposed to for a moment before turning into a pulsating nightmare. <laughs> Pearl tells him, you know, he killed her washing machine. And we get the speech of a lifetime for her. Would you want to read so, it? So rude. Read a little bit of it. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I was, I was um, standing up to the, I was, I was being a man. Which, again, mm-hmm. I think, you know, harkens back to him feeling empowered. I was doing man stuff. Uh, but you're not a man, Lester. You're not even half a man. Honestly, I don't know what got into me marrying you. My mom said, don't do it, Pearl. She said, he's the kind of boy that loses all the time. And I just wonder, like, what type of parent in the Midwest is like, oh, he is losing. Like, what, what is losing for, a, like, a high schooler or, you know, 18-year-old? Is he losing, like, basketball games? Is he losing I'm football? Sure. Like, and then that clearly is going to translate into him being a bad husband, a, a caretaker. I don't know. Um, and you know what those boys grow up to be, don't you? Losers. <laughs> he says, take that back. She mm. says, or what? She says, what are you going to do? Oh, God. <laughs> And then it gets worse. Uh, and she brings up a bunch of weird sex stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, that, I'm, that's I'm a, getting that's there. Another, oh, we're not, we're not even there yet? <laughs> it was the next line. 
you can't even face me when we're having sex. Now hold on, that is you not facing me, he says in response. She says, that's so I can picture a real man. Oh. And, you know, this actually, uh, we talked about it with the tie, is again her blaming him for something that she's doing. Oh, yeah, huh. You know, she is doing these things that she wants to criticize Lester for, but she's not going to take responsibility for it, so she's just going to blame Lester. And I think it's just her not accepting the reality of, like, her her life and her misery. Gosh, I just wish there was something that could be done about it. Yeah. And she, he says, you take that back. She says, or what? What are you going to do? Oh, you're going to hit me? Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Him picking up the hammer. Because that's what he does. Yep. And the, this shot is just excellent. The effect of the delay of the blood, mm-hmm. the look on her face. She's stunned. You're kind of unsure what's happened, which is probably similar to what Lester is feeling, where it's like, oh, my God, you went there. You... You took it that far. Um, and we get a lot of like, ah, oh, geez, oh, geez, oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, as he is finishing the job yep. of making sure that she is very much dead. Yeah, and he, he, hits, he hits her a few more times, let's say. <laughs> which, yeah, must be a lot of like complicated feelings for him of... <laughs> You know, it's a cathartic moment. He is taking his anger out on on her. He's finally fighting back on, on what she's saying instead of just accepting it. But he is also, like, breaking the rules. He's murdering someone. So, yep. I don't know. It's, a, it's really intense for, for him. And I should say that, you know, I... I've been in a relationship for like a decade. <laughs> Jesus, and, yeah, you're right. Wow. You know, like, there are better ways to handle conflict than murder. I just, you know, like, as much as... You can't tell me, Tiffany, that... Pearl is really awful. Um, you can't tell me, though, I'm that just, there hasn't been a moment you wanted to hit Tom in the head with a hammer. No, actually. Mm, not at all. I've wanted to hit him in the head with a hammer a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> sorry go on anyway i don't yeah i can't i don't think that i have ever ever felt like oh he needs to be physically assaulted for being annoying gosh look at you having morals and whatnot so i just want to like <laughs> for listeners out there don't hammer people is bad don't hammer people yeah Hey. Just like no no physical violence in your relationship conflict resolution. Let's do, like, let's do a PSA. Hey, America, next time you want to hit your wife in the head with a hammer, don't do it. Get a divorce. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just get a divorce. Walk away. Walk away from the situation. Um, You're going to make things more I fully support that. <laughs> yeah. I really doubt this is going to end up well for, for Lester here. I think that it's... What are you talking about? It's very... I think it's very unlikely that he will... No episode... ...make it out of this alive Epi- Episode two, he just goes to Hawaii and lives his life there and is happy and marries a Hawaiian princess. He's, go- he's going to prison or he's going to die. 
those are the Whoa. things that I strong accusation am theorizing. Accusation. I just don't see an option for him to. It's all gonna work out to make it back from this. So Walter White lived his life happily in a the uh, winter wonderland that he moved to. That was the end of that show. Anyway. <laughs> So uh, yeah, we get the, we get a lovely hammer scene, um, followed by uh, you know he he yeah as soon as he's done he immediately just freaks out and he does his best to hide uh, the hammer in his clothes. He wipes the hammer but doesn't clean it and uh, calls his old buddy Lorne Lester. Have you been a bad boy? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. He oh oh and I love the fact that um, he jumps the gun on the phone call. And like, as soon as somebody answers, he thinks it's Lauren, but it's the it's the desk clerk at the hotel. <laughs> Immediately confesses to murder, <laughs> but then asks for the room. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Lester uh, devises this brilliant plan where he's going to blame Lauren for the murder and kill him with a shotgun, and say that. Yeah, which means he doesn't really do anything to like clean anything up or stage anything in any different way not even close the basement door which would have been a good idea yeah and uh yeah and so he's expecting lauren hides the shotgun in the bathroom and the knock at the door thinking it's him but is instead greeted by good old Vern, who i wish didn't want to talk to lester <laughs> <laughs> he's very warm and uh invites himself in and just man and lester's a terrible liar which i mean <laughs> martin, we'll get to martin episode two when we get to episode two but it's painful martin freeman stuttering is the best thing in the world <laughs> i'm just like oh my god you're saying all the wrong things yeah. like yeah and so wait does he follow no uh does he see does Vern see blood on the he, floor first or does he yeah, he sees the blood on the floor, and then I think Lester sees it, and he kind of, like, tracks his eye line over to the door. Yeah. And I think he maybe even sees the gun, and he just looks, like, <laughs> he only takes, like, three steps, and then he can see into the basement where the body is. Yeah. And uh, she's very much dead with a lot of blood, so. And, yeah, he goes, you know, of course, Lester, listen to me, I need you to get on the ground. Yeah, as Lester's, you know, stuttering, pleading, has his hands in the air. I think he's he gets on his knees, right? Yeah. And uh, we see Lauren in the back, in behind the police chief with the shotgun. And uh, that totally surprised me too when I first watched it. I should have seen that coming, but I was just like, "Oh shit, who was that? Like, what just happened?" <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even see that it was Billy Bob? Yeah, I, I didn't. I was just like, oh, that makes sense, you know? But yeah, and, good drama. And Vern, uh, Vern, as he has Lester on the ground, he does call in the domestic, uh, domestic assault and then is shot in the back with one shell. He turns and is shot with the, the second shot of the double barrel. Yeah, and you know, Lauren's just—he's just chill. He's just like, uh, are there? Or no, he says, any more, Lester? Are there any more cops? 
And, you know, then so just go, goes about his business. He asks to see the basement. He goes down to the basement and then disappears. Yeah. <laughs> as, from the basement. As poli- yeah, it, it, you know, police lights show up outside, you know, are seen through the living room window. And, uh... Lester's hand hurts. Oh, and he oh, and he goes for more. Uh, Lester's going for more shells to reload the shotgun as uh, Lauren goes to the basement. And uh, as okay. the as the police as another police car shows up, Lester retreats to the basement to find. Um, yeah, Lauren's vanished. And Molly comes to the front door, sees Vern on the ground inside. I think she but she. Breaks down the front door somehow, right? Yeah. She makes it inside and... Checks Vern's pulse. Continues forward. Lester panics and... We, did, oh, we didn't even mention the poster before this. The awesome poster. I want one of those for my birthday. You know, well, this is where the poster really comes... <laughs> yeah. Comes in. What if you're right and they're wrong? And uh, Lester's panicking as Molly's approaching. Uh, you know, the basement and just... Does a good old self KO. It runs headfirst into the poster on the wall, knocks himself Ouch. unconscious next to his wife's body. Which I, I mean, honestly, you know, for, probably for the first time, he's made a smart decision. Yeah, it wasn't a move I expected. <laughs> I, you know, I think in every other instance, I'm like, oh, Lester, this is what you should do to avoid getting arrested or caught with whatever you're doing yeah and i didn't have an op like an option for him in my head he's gonna hide in the washing machine (laughs) yeah i'm like oh you are screwed damn so i was a little impressed with the quick thinking here but i think he could have easily uh had some permanent damage from this this particular but hey uh, well, also, I would like to retract saying that that was a smart decision. It wasn't a smart decision, but it it he, you know, it's it's a uh, live to fight another day. I would say, right? Yeah, I mean, it it's a good move. Ultimately, <laughs> I'm just saying it it could have also gone very very poorly for him. And I mean, I don't know, maybe dying from a head injury that he caused himself is better than what I believe is going to happen by the end of the season for him. Yeah. Which is dying or getting arrested. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> so. about. That's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> and Just my opinion. We do a little We do a little time jump and, you know, a lot more police and ambulances have arrived. And uh, Vern's body is covered. Molly sees the paint cans. God damn it. <laughs> for his unborn child's room in the back of his police car. She drives to uh, his his house, bringing the paint, and Vern's wife opens the door, and just, you know, she immediately knows. I wrote in yeah. my notes, God damn this show. Because <laughs> just fuck that, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. I, a movie I love is Jojo Rabbit. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit? I have. I don't know why, mom stuff, I, and I wasn't expecting that. I mean... That scene, I saw that in the movie theater. Yeah. The, the scene with the shoes. Man, I like, I cried so hard. <laughs> I I, <laughs> I cried everything, so that definitely made me cry, but... I love um, the, that movie, but fuck that movie. It ruined my day. 
I loved it. Great movie, but I will never watch it again because I like it, the movie ended and I had to like stay sitting in the theater because I couldn't gather yeah. myself. <laughs> Are you saying you have mommy issues? Is oh that, yeah. Is that oh, what's yeah, going time. on? Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so like yeah, scenes like this. I mean, it's just ah oh, fuck. Anyway, moving forward. Go see yes. Jojo Rabbit. Fuck that movie. We cut to a uh, good old Duluth. And, um... What's Colin Hanks' character name? Gus Grimley. Officer Grimley. Gus. He's having a nice chat with his daughter over a walkie-talkie. and uh, The information that Billy Bob uses to intimidate Gus is... Does he know that from previous of research or is it all just stuff he picks up from like overhearing <laughs> I don't know like the, the kid and kind of just making guesses oh no no uh hold on so wait, wait hold on so the speed uh, yeah he's it's Lester's car he's in and he's speeding around a corner and Duluth. I don't know why he's speeding yeah because yeah wh why would he be speeding but um he's pulled over and Colin takes takes some notes and walks up to Lester's car. I think during the conversation in like I think for some reason Gus's window to his car is open and uh Lauren hears the walkie-talkie with his kid saying something. So you think that Lauren is like just quick with the information that he's getting from that and kind of Yeah, cuz I mean <laughs> it's Or I mean I guess I'm just curious if he if he has, like, a lot of research, like, has done research on police officers in the area that he's, you know, no, I, I don't, doing I, crimes in. I, th I don't think he knows who Gr Gus Grimley is. It's just he knows. <laughs> I mean, Lauren Malvo is very good at threatening people. Okay. And as we go through as we go through this, he's going to have some very interesting interactions with um a few more I can't wait. I can't wait for other episode people. two yeah. discussion. <laughs> I'm Does trying he talk to the mail so clerk hard in episode to two? not talk about what? Does he talk to the mail clerk in episode two? Yes. Yeah, see, it was it seems like that. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> and, um, oh gosh darn it, sorry. Peter just did. So yeah, and uh, there, again, great quotes. Um, because some roads you shouldn't go down. Maps used to say there are dragons here. Now they don't. But that don't mean there aren't that the dragons aren't there. Fudge that one up. <laughs> nice and good. I I was reading a um, a sci-fi fantasy book that uses that same line about like uh, there be dragons here on like the edges of maps and yeah. I'm like I wonder if the author got that from Fargo. <laughs> Is it a newer book? I think so. Oh, nice. Maybe. But it's, you know, maybe it's just sure like a common it. enough expression. Yeah. That's been said before, for sure. Uh, Grimley's daughter calls on the walkie-talkie. As he's asking, he's asking Lauren to step out of his car. And the walkie-talkie goes off. And uh, that's when Billy Bob, is, you know, he says, how old is your kid? You know, which is very in insin insinuative? Insinuating? Insinuating. <laughs> that's the word. Sure. <laughs> Insinjating, and uh, you know, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. I'm gonna roll up, I'm gonna roll my window up, and then I'm gonna drive away, and you're gonna go home to your daughter. And you know, you chose 
something, uh, I can't remember exactly, but you chose to walk into the light instead of the darkness. And just, Gus just has like a very, you know, just meek, just like, sir. <laughs> I think it's interesting sir. that he is able to identify the child's voice as a girl because that was not immediately clear to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. It's not like particularly masculine or anything. I just didn't didn't catch that, kid. so I was a little bit yeah. surprised. Which I think maybe was why I was wondering if like, I he mean, possibly had additional information. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Which you know, who knows? But it's maybe. probably not. He, he, I mean. I would not have been like, that is definitely a daughter. I would have, like, used a gender-neutral <laughs> term to, yeah. <laughs> so, of course, Lorne just rolls up his window and drives away, and as Colin Hanks is just sitting there like, my, my pee-pee went inside of me. What do I do? <laughs> uh, when we get Lester waking up in a hospital with a wound on his hand that for sure isn't going to come back, later either that has nothing to do with the rest of the plot nothing and we get some christmas bells i love the christmas bells as, as a stinger i think I, I feel like i have to rewatch this whole episode just to like <laughs> listen for the christmas bells because i didn't catch i gotta it i gotta listen time. for uh the the drum brushes now <laughs> i just i heard it like at least two times with lester and yeah, so i love it but um yeah and so you know just a little wound is in no big deal and uh, we're yeah we're closing out the episode with um, Lou and Molly, good old Lou and Molly. And, and uh, Lou doesn't want his daughter to be a police officer because he knows it's dangerous, and we know how much he knows it's dangerous based on season two. I also have a long shot thing to pitch here. Okay. I think Keith Carradine... Hold on, let me say his name again. <laughs> I think Keith Carradine really likes sandwiches. Because... Because <laughs> he, he has this coffee shop. He, there's sandwiches on the board. He brings two types of sandwiches to the fishing trip. And his character in Dexter... There's a very prominent scene where he's... Talking about cucumber and cream cheese sandwiches. Mm. He's always talking about sandwiches in these shows. <laughs> That's a long I shot. also like <laughs> you know if I was going somewhere and making sandwiches for me and another person I would make their favorite sandwich would you or like call ahead? a second I would not make two separate sandwiches and be like alright what do you think this or that I, I, I don't yeah. know I like this or that though because if somebody you know was like hey do you, hey, I brought ham and turkey sandwiches with two different types of cheeses I would I like I like the option. Well, I guess I'm thinking of this as a very close relationship between you know. Oh, is like father for his and daughter. daughter. Oh, like his daughter. And he would sandwich. know okay. like what what sandwiches because I assume <laughs> he made sandwiches for her uh, a lot when she was a kid. Maybe a and if times. he has a diner, like he would, you know, she'd walk in and he'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna make your favorite blah blah blah." You're thinking, yeah. And like, um. If I were to be making this for, so you're for saying Tom, that you're saying that I he, would know what he wants. You're saying that Molly should have canceled their fishing trip based solely on the fact that he didn't make her favorite sandwich. 
I'm saying that this is <laughs> negligence in this child abuse. fatherhood. This child abuse. Yeah. Really, is what it is. How does he not know? I yeah. don't know. Um, he should be charged. <laughs> I, I also think that it's funny that he specifically says that uh, hostesses are less likely to get shot. Oh, yeah, that's a great line. the hostess that is in danger... <laughs> While you know Lou is on the job and dealing with something maybe that one happens of his in the first, future, like very dangerous, yeah, in the future past. <laughs> and so I find that just just kind of funny. I don't know yeah. if they were thought about that at all when they were planning season two. And hmm. um, that is it. And we talked about this a little bit previously, but you know, Lou obviously just really wants his daughter to to be safe but i see this as molly feeling a little bit like her dad doesn't support her in her in her career well and maybe doesn't believe that she's capable maybe she feels it's sexism i see it as protection but she seems to be really dejected by this like she just up and leaves this situation yeah she she goes to do her job not in maybe almost in spite of him you know well she or just she just arrived she just arrived to go fishing or whatever right yeah and yeah, you're, you're, she's made the effort to go drive to fish like she, and that was their plan work. and she just cancels it basically to go to go work because she just doesn't feel like he is is supporting her whether she has ideas about like what's going on there that she's not as good as he was uh is it brought up in this episode that he was a police officer yes okay i believe so yes and i I could see that that's also kind of like a legacy thing that could be a challenge for her to feel like she has to live up to her her dad's legacy and her grandfather's legacy too as a police officer and feeling like you know, she's not good enough that she won't be taken seriously. So anyway, I feel I feel for Molly here, oh, Molly. Uh, and I have more more Molly thoughts for episode two when we get there. Exciting. And so yeah, that's uh, then we get credits roll. Oh, I wanted to say too that um, I had in my original notes. When the washing machine first comes up, like, is this a metaphor for, you know, just being stuck in this cycle um, and not being able to to get out of it? And then I just feel like that metaphor really comes home when he tries to fix it and it just blows up in his face, essentially. And he's, you know, he's taking action. He's trying to to make a change and it just doesn't and it's you know this this failure of a marriage that doesn't seem to be any any real fix for it's towel day and that's why the tumbler sounds different (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one i like that i see what you're i see what you're saying maybe we'll have like a metaphor corner where i'll just pull out themes Based on yeah, and I, some I want dumb you to, thing that happens. I want you to do it in the form of slam poetry too. So you got to get that don't, beat don't down. Don't put that on me. <laughs> so you want to talk about right. the paradox a little bit? 
because I, we, okay yeah who knows what this is <laughs> yeah we we talked about this previously and didn't really seem to understand it so i'm hopeful that round two my brain is gonna be i haven't gotten receptive. any smarter since the last time we talked about it so okay. i doubt it but Go ahead. <laughs> All right. The title refers to a paradox in which a crocodile steals a child and promises the father that his son will be returned if he can correctly predict whether or not the crocodile will return the child. If the father thinks that it will not, the crocodile loses the deal no matter what. If the crocodile wants to give him back, it has to keep him. If it wants to keep him, it has to give him back. Right now, we're just going to cut to five minutes of dead air while we think about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> if he... Okay, I, if, I got if no the idea. Father, the father <laughs> says, no, this, this crocodile is not going to give me back my son. The crocodile has... The crocodile loses the deal, so I assume What's he gets his son back. Uh, okay. And then if the crocodile wants to give the son back, it has to keep him. Yeah. If it wants <laughs> to keep him, it has to give him back. So basically, the crocodile can't get what he wants. Okay. I think... That makes a little bit of sense. I don't know. So, I, you know, we were wondering who the crocodile is, but I feel like this is... Feels kind of like a Lester thing, like Lester's the crocodile. Lester, maybe like he is very conflicted about all these things that he's doing, and he's not really getting what he wants out of it. Or maybe you know, maybe life is the crocodile, and Lester is the father, and the child is happiness. I have no answer. By we, the way, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping nope. we would. We, Please. I just want to know the crocodile. Yeah, please. Fargon. To fargonconclusionpod at gmail.com if you know who the crocodile is. Tell us who the crocodile is, please, for the love of God. We need to figure out who it is. We're going to get um, started. <laughs> if, if anyone actually emails in, I mean, it's, it's going to be like 17 different answers, right? Pearl's the crocodile. I will, <laughs> I will read any theory, you know. Yeah. You give like a ten-page dissertation on who the crocodile is in Fargo. <laughs> I will read all of it and do my best to summarize. Um, Please do. Please do. Thomas, like all the airtime to read it aloud, but you know that'll be on the Patreon. I want to engage in this conversation. Um, so I just have a, a few lines pulled here. I think yeah. that there's not always a ton for each episode but we got some good ones in this just, one i do really love the like no mr we're not friends <laughs> i mean maybe we will be someday just i such a like perfect encapsulation of their dynamic yep lester have you been a bad boy um your problem is you spent your whole life thinking there are rules there aren't uh all right we're gonna this is a man who doesn't deserve to draw breath Oh, yeah. That's a fun one. You let a man be in front of his children. You didn't him. save more of these. He has so many good ones. Um, all right. And Wait, then one more. We have... One more, sorry. Oh, oh, okay. One more, sorry. 
yeah, the the uh, I love the interaction. It, it's I guess it's not a favorite line, but a favorite you know one of my favorite interactions is you got to make your own wins. Salesmen make their own wins. You got to try harder for Pete's sake. Maybe wear a nicer tie. You gave me this tie. Well, if you were a better salesman, I would have bought you a nicer tie. Oh, that's that's, that's so funny. Anyway, okay. Now, now, sorry, I'll stop interrupting you as you go. On. All right. Now it's time for for death. Uh, so I have a few contenders here. I think these are the only four deaths that we see in this episode. Uh, Sam Hess, Pearl, Vern, and then we can maybe count the guy in the trunk. Yeah. Frozen solid guy. We didn't watch him die, but we saw him alive and then we saw him dead. Yeah. So. That counts. That's an on-screen death. Yeah. We saw a dead body. Yeah. Uh, so, which one do you think is your favorite? I mean, I gotta go, Sam. That's just that was just a fun one. It was so fun, and I, 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 I you know, Vern is a. I mean, they're all good. All, th- all three yeah. of those. The guy in the trunk. I mean, eh. he's not a winner. <laughs> but yeah, I gotta go, Sam, just because it's fun as opposed to terrible, like Vern, or shocking, like. Pearl. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the shocking one with Pearl. Yeah. I her facial expression is just perfect and the, mm-hmm. and like you the said, way that we get to linger on it. Yeah, and like you said earlier, like the delay of the blood is so good. Yeah. It's so it's so just like oh And the oh, way oh. that it like trickles down too is just <laughs> and she's being so frustrating in that moment. <laughs> she's being the worst we've we've seen all episodes, so mm-hmm. All right, and our episode MVPs. Um, I got the short list here of Lauren Malvo, Lester Nygaard, Vern Thurman, and Molly Salverson. Do you have any other contenders for MVP? Mickey Hess. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> for beating his brother with a hockey stick. Mr. Mickey. Yeah, Mr. Mickey. Um, yeah, no, I mean... Who, who do you say? I'll let, I'd like you to go first. You know, I do really think that Lauren Malvo is, like, setting the stage for what the show is. I think that there are mm-hmm. a lot of shows or, you know, like a, even a book series where there's one particular character whose personality, like, sets the tone for the whole whole series yeah and i think lauren is doing that it's like his energy is he's anton chigurh from no country for old men basically yeah like the things that he he will do or won't do are kind of the the range Mm -hmm. i think so he's doing the most but i think i'm gonna go with Vern because (laughs) this is his only chance and he did a really good job figuring out, you know, where the deer was, and he found the guy, and he was very nice to Molly, who deserves people to be nice to her. And, you know, he got the paint. He got the paint. He would have been a great dad. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's give it to Vern. Let's go, Vern. You can pick someone else if you want to. No, he deserves it. And this is his only shot. <laughs> MVP. I, yeah, I, I do think that. 
I know that Lauren is going to get it before the end of the season, so I'm not worried. You think? About him. Lester's probably going to get it, and I also think that Molly will... Although this was maybe, having seen episode two, like, Molly really shows off her skills as a a detective in this episode. She continues to do that, but I just feel like this one highlights it more than Hmm. the next one, so. Yeah. I don't know. But I love her, so she's maybe the MVP of my heart, maybe not the episode, but. Not not that I've seen the whole series already, but I'm pretty sure they're all going to sail off into the sunset happily ever after lester and lauren are just going Everybody. to get married and pearl start a family to together pearl comes back to life and goes off on her own lesbian adventure <laughs> and uh Vern, uh you know he, he it's kind of like a ghost dad with bill cosby situation where he oh i was thinking like <laughs> uh one of those black mirror situations where it's like his consciousness is uploaded into like oh god that's a good episode like a, yeah, an app and then a body. That's such a great episode of Black Mirror. He, he ends up just, she ends up just sticking him in the attic. Oh, that one kills me. All right. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Fargon Conclusion. Next week, we'll be covering season one, episode two, The Rooster Prince. You can find us on Twitter at FargonPod and Instagram at FargonConclusion. You can email us at FargonConclusionPod at gmail.com. This is where you need to tell us all about your crocodile theories. And if you have something nice or terrible to say, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at ShamePrayer and listen to my band Bold Villain on all streaming platforms. You can find me on Twitter at T-E-A-Flow or check out my website, (laughs) TiffanyFlowers.co. And until next week, don't ram your head into a wall and knock yourself out. Also, don't hammer your wife. (laughs) No hammering. Instead of having sweet dreams, about you